Awesome. Yay. So today we have Rainier Wild, which has been something I've been super stoked about. Um, a writer, a mentor, and a teacher with groups and individuals um, who really works on embodying their purpose and helping them achieve kind of like their highest selves. Um, my boyfriend wants to say from me <laughs> that he loves your Instagram so much. I couldn't oh. believe this interview without saying that. He was like, I am obsessed with how he talks about a broad topic, then you swipe and it gets deeper, swipes again, gets deeper. So that's his little fangirl moment from uh, from me. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, well, thank you. Thank him on my behalf. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so before we dive into all that fun stuff and all the work, I just kind of want to know about you. You know, like what is kind of your message that you're trying to send out? How'd you get here? All the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, I often say that almost anytime someone asks me about me, it provokes a little bit of an existential crisis. <laughs> um, I'm not exactly ever sure what to say. I think as far as my message, that feels really clear to me. And maybe that's important. I think a lot of us get lost in our identities. Mm. And of course, I, I don't mind talking to you about myself, but I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking how often we talk about ourselves, how much we emphasize these rather defined and defendable roles and structures of, of who we imagine ourselves to be. And the message gets lost in it. So maybe before I talk about myself, I would, I would simply say this, life runs out on us. Mm. Use it up while you can. That's the message. The message is finding life before there's death. You know, I grew up uh, in a in a evangelical Christian environment. My father, who just recently passed away, was a televangelist. And I remember as a little boy being surrounded by a lot of people talking about, is there life after death? Mm. And what comes after death? And I think that's a, a boring question. I think the real interesting question is, is there life before death? And what would you do if you knew this next moment mattered more than any other? And, you know, I, I mentioned my father's passing. It was just two weeks ago. And, and I keep thinking about, oh, well, thank you. You know, it was a really instructive time. And as I watched him pass, as I watched that, that precious moment, I kept thinking about his last breath, the last labored moments, him tapping out Morse code on his fingers after his voice stopped working. Mm. And I, I think of how every moment mattered to him. And you don't think about that till you're up against the end. We think about the next moment. Tomorrow is the, the best day to do anything. Mm -hmm. But what if this moment was the very last opportunity you had? Who would you smile at? Mm -hmm. Who would you tell I love you to? Whose hand would you hold? What would you do? And I think we have to start to think like that. So that's the message. As far as me, I'm a father of four kids. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a, a writer. I've been married two times, I've blown up a handful of relationships, large businesses, <laughs> corporations, all. communities. I've been through it. I've lived enough to have a history in life. Um, I think I get to spend my days helping women and men transform their life in the most remarkable of ways. 
That's what I, I love to do. I love that so much. Yeah, that's always a, a big thing when you're able to give what you have within you and share it with other people. Um, and as someone who has read your work and everything, we appreciate that so much. So thank you. Um, so what big life events or maybe even your childhood, since we touched on that, has impacted maybe your your views as to like, you know, just life and, and appreciating the small moments? Because I think it's something that takes people a little more time to get to sometimes. Um, so were there any big like aha moments that you realized I really need to change my ways? Yeah. Well, I, I do think that some of those things begin early on. You know, my my own grandfather died um, in a very untimely and surprising way when I was three years old. So some of my very first memories really have to do with this sense of holding on to the preciousness of life. I remember my father saying that one of my first memories is three and a half years old, hearing my father say, remember this, remember everything because it's going to slip by. I, I recall that very vividly in my mind. Mm. And so I think there was a sense of the resolute urgency of now that was kind of always instilled. And as I look back on my life, I think I wanted to live like a character in a novel. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, eventually around 18, I traded freedom for safety. I traded being for belonging. Most of us do in our adolescence. I got married very early. I went to, a, to a, a college to please my father and uh, I settled down. I became a householder. I, I, I became someone who had a, a who was a settler in life. I stopped being a pioneer. I was a settler. And I think that um, when I was about 28 years old, I remember having this jarring moment where I walk into my house, I see this picture on the wall of a family, a beautiful family. I recognize that was my wife. Those were my kids. But who was that man? I didn't recognize him. Oof. He looked like a settler. And I didn't feel like that. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be that character in a novel that I had longed to be as a child. And so I said, I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to do something. So around 28 years old, I began to actively leave a lot of the structures that had defined me for about a decade. And I began to, to peel away from those places. It cost a lot. There was a lot of pain involved. But that was a real transition moment. I think of another transition moment when I was about 36 years old. I had certainly re-identified. I had done a lot. And I had... Uh, as a character in a novel, I had lived like that. I hadn't really counted the cost. I, the collateral damage was pretty high and my shadow was largely undealt with. Mm. And uh, that created a, a wonderful series of calamities for myself. And as the boulder that I lassoed and pulled down on my head was collapsing onto me, I remember kind of gasping for air. <laughs> like, my God, will this end? Will this moment ever end? And suddenly I realized, no. It won't end. You have to fall in love with life. And so that was really like the big aha moment for me. Love yeah. life as it is. I love that. Wow. You definitely have quite the story. Um, and you talk about the shadow following you. And something I see all over your page is shadow integration. So for people that may not know what that really is and what that entails, can you give us kind of an example of what what is shadow integration? How do you apply shadow work? Mm -hmm. well, a lot of us think of our shadow as our inner demon. And it's really not that at all. I mean, I, <laughs> I think many of us would like to be rid of those things. But the truth is, 
the shadow is that which we conceal that points to the reality that there's more going on to us than meets the eye. Mm. When we're very young, we make a series of concessions, like I was talking about a moment ago, in order to belong. We cut away parts of our vast and limitless potential in order to fit in. Right. As children, we are so expansive. My God, I've had four of them. I can attest that each one of them up until about second grade thinks they're an artist or a writer or an astronaut or the president. <laughs> but but that starts to fade away. And, you know, for many of us, those realities start to fade away further and further and further. And then we're just like a tax person. Which yeah. is nothing wrong if you're an accountant, but I don't think any of us dreamed of being that in second grade. Mm -hmm. We cut away parts of our life in order to make things work, in order to live in, quote, reality. And we cut those parts away and they kind of fall into the basement. Parts of ourselves like, um, like desires, like, um, like longings, uh, things that are a little too extreme that might even frighten people, like anger. Or, um, or even lust. You know, mm -hmm. we cut away all of these things so that we can fit in, so that we can belong. But they don't really go away. They hide there in the basement, and they have their own kind of shelf life there. Mm -hmm. I like to imagine that there in the basement, they grow, uh, kind of, and get overgrown. They kind of take on a mossy-like feature, you know, and mm -hmm. get real gangly. And, and then, you know, when you open the basement door in your life, when something happens, they burst out. And all of a sudden, we're faced with, with ugh, all kinds of stuff. And we go, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Put this creature back in the basement. Lock him away so no one. And we get a lot of reinforcement for that. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes, please, cut that away. Bob, your alcoholism is ruining us. Well, well, what is that? Well, it's a desire to, to not be reasonable. It's a desire to step out of the reality principle. It's a desire to be in tune with your intuitions. And the only way it comes out is Bob's alcoholism. Okay, yeah. so what needs to happen is we need to go into the basement. We need to pull these things off the shelf and begin to dust them off, clean them off, look at them and decide, do we want to sell them at the rummage sale or do we want to bring them into the living room? Mm-hmm. That's a great way to put it. That's a really good, uh, I was visualizing the whole story right there. I was like, oof, my demons and all the times that I've just been like, no, no, not yet. <laughs> We're not ready to deal with that. Um, but it's something that we do have to face. And it's also, I feel like a part of getting to the root of why, because people like in your example, they see alcoholism or just like, oh, he, he has an addictive personality, but it may not have been formed that way you know like what is beneath the alcohol what is what is the internal experience that's going on that's causing someone to run to alcohol you know so it's not always just like this one tone situation that we see of he drinks too much alcohol it's hurting me it's like no what's the meat like what can we pull out of this to uncover this big story and then maybe eventually we we satisfy that that root that we're actually longing for. And now we don't need alcohol anyway, because we're not That's suppressing right. our needs, our wants, our desires. We're honoring it. We're seeing it. And we're, we're kind of fueling it, but in a more healthy way, maybe than alcoholism. Right. So I really like how you talked about that. And that brings me to like society, I guess. Um, and I know in, because we are taught a lot of times to push it away, we're learned to, you know, you listen to what you're told and you, you walk that line and sometimes we're almost shamed to you know, divvy off and figure stuff out on our own. So 
that kind of plays into our emotions as well and how we deal with that. Um, so if you could change one thing about the way society um, like views and handles emotional distress that we may feel, what would it be? Yeah. I think the noise of society is so loud that in order to be an individual, we have to turn up the volume on all of our emotions. So today, people don't really want to be happy. They want to experience ecstasy. People don't really want to experience anything like contentment. They want to experience dizzying um, enlightenment. People um, don't get sad anymore. They get despairing. People aren't angry. They're rage-filled. All of our emotions have been turned up to an 11, mm. right? And, and in part, that's, that's actually because we've lost the... Uh, the holding spaces, the environments of evolutionary adaptivity, the 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 attachments um, with our earliest caregivers and our environments that were to hold us and make us feel secure when we were very, very young. Society is really the repression of the individual, but it's also the elimination of true community. We have too little, too too little community and too few individuals. We need more individuals and we need more community, mm -hmm. both. So what I would actually say is I would love to transform society away from this repression of the individual to an invitation to flourish as individuals, to take great risks, to dare greatly, to fall on our faces, to fall flat on our faces over and over and over, and to find through all of the intermittent seasons of life, the highs and the lows, a seasonless place where we're balanced, where we return to that sense of ordinary goodness, mm. sadness, happiness, joy, anger, really just core emotions that don't have to be at their, their extreme edges. And this happens as we, as we form a sense of self in communion with others. Wow. Yeah. I definitely feel the extreme and it's almost like we don't feel heard. So we have to yell. If you're not going to listen. I have to yell what I'm feeling. And that wouldn't happen if we could just accept, oh, that person is sad. I'm I'm holding space for that sadness. I'm not trying to change it, I'm not trying to transform it, I'm not trying to cover it either. It's just there to be. If we were sometimes, I mean, this is at least how I feel. If I was heard the first time and accepted the first time that I say, Hey, I'm sad, <laughs> I wouldn't have to be, you know, throwing the tantrum and raging and saying, Hey, I'm sad. Listen to it, like feel it, accept that this is what is going on inside of me. I don't want to have to prove it. And yeah, that's something I feel a lot, which you just made me realize is when I don't feel validated in my feelings and people try to cover it and just say, oh, no, it's okay. It's like, no, now I'm going to just take it up a notch so you really know. And I've definitely been been doing that before. So <laughs> thanks for shedding light on that one. Uh, <laughs> bring that one to therapy. Um, and something else that I really like that you talked about is we need more community. That's something I, I was dying to talk to you about because I personally feel like we live in a very individual kind of society of, especially during this time period. I don't know if I'm just like realizing it now, but it seems very much like if someone doesn't fit your box, then you just push them away instead of kind of welcoming it. So how would you advise going about you know, respecting your own needs and wants, respecting your boundaries, being yourself, but without being selfish while also being compassionate and seeing someone and, you know, just being like one with everyone. 
down. Um, well, first of all, I want to say I sing the song of selfishness. Um, I believe in the virtue of selfishness. And by that, I simply mean having a solid sense of self in this world. You know, I grew up like so many of us being told that self-sacrifice was the ultimate relational gift. Mm. But but think about what we're saying, even with those words, self-sacrifice, sacrifice, literally slaughtering something on an altar. Well, who's if I come up to you in relationship and say, oh, why don't you just why don't you just self-sacrifice, please? What am I saying? I'm saying I'd like you to slaughter something about yourself so you can appeal to me and appease mm. to me. Please keep me happy by slaughtering yourself. Um, self-sacrifice is incredibly self-serving, at least to someone. I think that in reality, what we need, if we're ever going to form strong and substantive communities and relationships, is a deep sense of who we are in the room. Listen, one of the reasons why we don't have profound or connective relationships or communities today is actually because you have a lot of people who have no clue who they are. Mm. They can't even maintain their own sense of self. So how can they be in relationship? So if you think about what we need in relationship, well, for one thing, you need to know where someone stands, right? In order to really correspond to you, I have to know that I'm interacting with someone I see, someone of substance, someone who has boundaries of self. But if you don't, then I'm not actually connected to anything, mm. right? And so unfortunately, we've developed a great society that I don't think is individual at all. I think it's isolated. And there's a I difference. Right? You have people who are isolated from one another. They're also isolated from themselves. Friedrich Nietzsche is reported to have said that, that some people are thought to have multiple selves. The truth is most people have no self at all. And mm -hmm. I love that. That's the reality. We're dealing with people who are an amalgam of voices. What voices? Well, the voices of caregivers, the voices of authorities, the voices of the state, the voices of religion, the voices of corporate consumerism, all bombarding us. And the, here's the, the truly miserable part of it all. We think it's our own voice. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like I, I, hear, I hear a voice inside my head. And, and recently I, I told my partner, I said, gosh, I really want one of those new Ford Broncos. And she said, of course you do. Everybody else who saw the same commercial does. <laughs> <laughs> right? We, we, we think it's I wanting. It's not at all. It's not I. It's what we've been marketed. It's what we've been told we must have. So, uh, and, and I should say here that in part, this is coming from my lived experience. You know, I spent part of my 20s living in intentional community with about 50 other adults. We lived near one another. We worked together. We raised our children together. It was a profound mm. and beautiful time of proximate community. It's very countercultural today to have grown-ass adults all being in intentional relationship together, making choices that, that include one another. And we did it. It was a beautiful time. But what I noticed inevitably was that the people who were the real troublemakers in it all, the people who were most fracturous, were the people who said they loved community the most. And why is that? Well, in part, they needed community somehow to escape their problems. They couldn't take responsibility for their own life. And so community became kind of like a wish dream fix it. Yeah. That would just fix their life. And unfortunately, um, that needful attachment killed the community. So I think we really need two things equally. We need women and men who are willing to take responsibility for their decisions without excuses or blame. 
and then to willingly enter into connection with others in tribe and community. I love that. That was like a big mind blow. I like how you talked about isolation versus, you know, being individual, because I guess that is the right word. When I was going over the questions, it still wasn't like the word, but it was the closest thing that I could feel aligned with what I was trying to say. Um, so you put that perfectly and it is hard to connect with other people if you don't connect to yourself. Um, it's almost impossible to do so because you're connecting from a place of, of lack of knowing. You're connecting thinking this is the person I should be connected with because again, you're basing it off of what you think is your voice, but it's not. <laughs> then you're connecting with someone who you're not actually connected to. And now you're both upset. Um, I love that you talk all about relationships and love on your Instagram. I love love. I love learning about it. I want to be like a love, love expert if there ever was one. Um, and there's so many definitions and different interpretations on love. Um, so what what would you kind of describe your idea or sense of love to be? Well, love is such a complex emotion. And, and you know, when we talk about the difference between feelings and emotions, a feeling is something that happens in your body, right? And so I can say that I have this experience of loving that occurs in my body. I remember telling a therapist once that love felt like fear in my body. And mm. I think for most of us who are anxiously attached, that, that sure is true. Love feels a hell of a lot like fear um, at some point in time. But I think the reality is that our feeling states are really a physiological experience. But an emotion is something much more complicated than that. An emotion is awareness of this physiological experience plus a set of interpretations or thoughts, plus my volitional choices of what I will do with those thoughts. So actually, the difference between love as a feeling and love as an emotion is pretty vast. Love as an emotion requires an immense amount of security. It requires an immense amount of confidence that you can give of yourself. What I would say the simplest definition of love as a complex emotion is love is the decision to willingly be loving to another person. Mm. <laughs> I've had a lot of moments where I've suddenly fallen in a state of loving with a girl walking down the street. Our eyes met for five seconds and I was suddenly monogamous for her. And then she walked away from me. How dare she betray me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that was the end of our beautiful relationship. But the reality is love is far bigger than that. I remember when I was um, telling my partner uh, many years ago now that I was in love with her. It was a real big moment. I had gotten out of a marriage. I fumbled my way through some pretty um, pretty disastrous post-marriage relationships. And now here I was standing in front of the most beautiful woman who I'd ever met. And I'm, I'm you know, kind of bumbling around with my words. And I remember saying, I love you. And what that means to me is I'm going to keep loving you. I'm dedicated to having goodwill towards you and towards your children and towards your children's children, even if they're not mine, even if I don't get that opportunity, it's my unqualified goodwill towards you and my commitment to do so. And that, that uh, 
that seemed to go over pretty well after I said I love you to her. She said thank you back to me, and uh, and <laughs> she had to think about it. <laughs> and she thought about it for a couple of months um, before she came back and and said, "Well, by the way, I love you too, and I've been oh. loving you for quite some time." But I think that love um, is really complicated, and I think we get lost between that feeling state which naturally and spontaneously occurs rather often. And then the greater emotion, which is a kind of a commitment. It's kind of a volitional choice, a decision, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree that I, I view it as a decision as well, because there's some days where I'm like, Oof, you are really just taking me off, but I'm still choosing. I'm still choosing. <laughs> what point do you think it's, because sometimes relationships do have to end. Um, so at what point do you think it's ready for love to to be, you know, kind of washed away and the relationship is over? And when do you think, you know what, this is gonna be ugly love and I'm not I'm I'm still gonna do it because I wanna work for this and I wanna fight for it and I, I'm choosing to love you. Um, so where do you think there's like that difference? Cause I, I think a lot of times it's easy for people to be like, oh, it's, it doesn't feel good anymore. I'm ready to go. Um, but you still got to work on it. Some people don't. Do you understand my question? <laughs> Boy, I sure do. Um, I think that I've been someone who's stayed and I've been someone who's left. You said earlier, I want to learn all I can about love. And mm -hmm. the only way to learn about love is to love a lot in life. It's mm -hmm. to hurt it's to be hurt. It's probably to do some hurting yourself. Um, the only way that I know to learn about love is as kind of a hands-on assignment. Um, mm. And I think that when you're doing that hands-on learning, the reality is you're going to come in deep contact uh, with moments where an ending is necessary. Mm. You know, I can think of several just off the top of my head where that ending uh, was so painful, but so necessary. And one of the reasons why it was necessary is because uh, what was at stake was an annihilation of the self. Go back to what I said about self-sacrifice. Mm -hmm. When the cost of the togetherness project is the self, it's not worth it. You lose the thing you love. You lose the thing they love if you have to annihilate your sense of self in order to be in that relationship. Mm. And I think many of us have been taught to compromise our values, to compromise our vision, perhaps even to, um, to wait to stay at all costs. And I think we have to actually confront the, fa the fact that there comes a time when I look at myself and I say, if I have had to cut away parts of me in order to fit into this, it's actually not worth it. Mm -hmm. And to learn how to lovingly extricate yourself. I think back to um, a lover who I, who I had at one point in time, and we, we were drifting apart. And you know, it was kind of one of those things where one of us would say, oh, I got to go. And then the other would say, no, no, stay, stay, stay. And, mm -hmm. and, then, and then they would say, I, no, I don't think this is working. And the other would say, oh, no, 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 please stay, stay, stay. <laughs> And it was back and forth, back and forth. And I remember really rallying, going to her doorstep, standing there and saying, you know, we can fight for this. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, um, 
That's true. But I don't want a relationship defined by fighting, even if it's fighting for the relationship. And I think a lot of us have kind of violent approaches to love where we're fighting to keep it. Mm. I don't think love should be a fight. I actually don't think love is a battlefield. I think love is a schoolroom where our lovers are our teachers. I think love is a hospital where lovers are our healers. But most of all, I think love is a home where we come back to a deep sense of self and reverence for others. I don't think it's a battlefield. Mm. That was so beautiful. It gave me chills down my arms. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I, oh, that one's going to be sitting in my mind for a bit. Definitely a school, definitely a learning experience. Um, you talked about compromise, and I saw that you discussed negotiating versus compromise. Um, so to the average person, I think we've all learned that we're supposed to compromise. A relationship is made up of compromise. But to you, it's it's different. You don't you don't view it as that. It's about negotiating, and it's something that when I read it, at first I was like, "Huh," and then I really read into it, kept doing all the swipes, and I was like, "That makes total sense." How have how have I never realized that before? So, can you dive a little bit deeper into that for people listening that have the same mindset as me or what I used to have anyway? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that um, I think that there's two camps here. One of them is take no prisoners, no compromise. Mm -hmm. And the other is compromise, compromise, compromise. Yeah. And, you know, right now, and I think you pointed to it earlier, I think Instagram culture, social media really is pushing pretty hard this take no prisoners. You know, yes. I, I recently saw some relational Insta guru saying something about um, if it's not a hell yes relationship, it's a hell no relationship. And I actually just wondered about the state of their relationships. I, I wondered if they had actually had one last longer than a few months at that point um, and how their partner felt about it. Um, because quite honestly, I don't think you can go through life in that kind of take no prisoners way. Listen, life is filled with negotiations and missteps and regrets and apologies and having to backtrack and, and fall flat on your face. Love is so much more complicated than this take no prisoners kind of mentality. I don't think that's it. On the other hand, you have this compromise, 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 mm -hmm. which as a recovering people pleaser, as a recovering um, anxious attachment style, I can honestly tell you, I get compromise is a real thing. But here's the thing. Compromise is almost always a lose-lose approach, right? It usually involves abandoning some sense of self in order to make them happy. I can mm -hmm. think of any number examples of examples, you know, but you might take something like as simple as maybe your partner uh, is very into, maybe, maybe you're very monogamous and they're, they, they think, oh, well, I'm, I'm polyamorous. And you say, I can make that work. I can make that work. And you try and it feels really awful. And every time you try it, it feels really, really bad, but you're like, well, God, love is a compromise. You know, I, I got, you know, I mean, it, it's good for it's good for her and and so maybe you know i can just come along step and figure it out but like the more you go into it the more it's like nails on a chalkboard you confront your own shit you do your own hard work you you go to your therapist multiple times you're like why can't i be polyamorous what's wrong with me? you know you come to a point nobody's forcing you 
it's like I had this friend Eric and uh and I said, Hey, do you want to go hiking? He said, Well, where? And I told him the place and it was the altitude was pretty high. It was up on a ledge and and he said, Oh no. And I said, What do you mean no? And he goes, Hey man, here's the deal. I know who I am in life. I don't like heights. And at this point, I have no need to go high. Like it's not like there's something on the other side of this. I don't actually need to do it. And I'm fine with it. Here's the thing. That's a lot like life. Most of us kind of need to come to the place where like, hey, I could probably do that, <laughs> but I just don't want to. Yeah. And that's okay. Okay. So, so I think like we're too willing to compromise. What a negotiation is though. A negotiation is something where we both walk away getting with something we want. Something we want. We both ask for something and get something. We both walk away as winners. Um, I think mature relationships are all about that give and take. It's all about kind of that sense where you're able to actually say, okay, in order to get X, I'll give Y. Now, I recognize that's incredibly transactional. And mm-hmm. love at least includes transactions. I mean, yeah. I hope that love is more than that. But God, it is at least that. Having been married at half of my life at various points in time, I can honestly say a lot of life boils down to um, we'll do dishes for sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I use that. That's actually never happened as far as that example goes. But I think that sometimes it can actually be that transactional. Yeah. What do you want? What do I want? Let's make a deal. <laughs> It's learning to work with people on sometimes not a very complicated level. Sometimes it's that simple. You do this, I do that, we're both happy. Okay, boom. You don't mind doing this, and I do, then you could do it. I don't mind doing that, then I'll do it, and you don't have to. It, it can get so overcomplicated, and it's something my, my dad would always talk about was, my parents aren't together anymore, but he would say, my mom would always cook, and he would do the dishes. And that's just how it was to create a sense of balance. Because anytime there's a little imbalance, someone's going to feel like they're doing the compromising. They're losing out on something. That's something that I am so like sensitive to that I feel maybe because I'm hyper aware of it, but I'm always looking for like, is this imbalanced? Are we both giving and both receiving? Tangent, but yeah, that's what I always think about. Um, Let's see, we still have a little bit more time. Um, one of my favorite things that I read of your stuff is, uh, storytelling, especially about your partner. Cause I was like, Ooh, that is a direct call out to me. Um, I think I definitely do it, but now I'm aware of it, which is great. So now I know that I need to take a step back from it and reevaluate and see him for like, Hey, this is who you are. This is the story I tell, but those two things aren't equal. Um, how would you go about kind of recovering from the storytelling standpoint, especially if you have been hurt by that person. Like Mm -hmm. I know that um, in past relationships, I, someone may have asked for a little more freedom, you know, and then in my head, I take it as, oh, you don't want to be with me. You just want all the freedom. All you care about is freedom. You don't care about a relationship. You only care about yourself. And then I create that story and then it runs. So how would you go about it when your emotions are kind of triggered by it? Mm. Well, first of all, there's not a lot of wise mindedness when we're in our emotions. Um, mm. So what I would actually say is probably give yourself a shot to regulate your emotions first and then <laughs> come back to working through the story. 
I also want to say something. You said we create the stories. I actually think it's the very reverse. I think the stories create us. Mm -hmm. I think that there are large sweeping narratives that exist. They're like in the ether and they are prowling around. Romeo and Juliet tragedies are prowling around looking to get their hooks into us. And the moment we buy into it, because whatever the payoff is high enough, we suddenly have the interesting experience of all of our memories, all of our experiences are now being used by these stories um, to tell it, right? I am transformed now into Romeo. You are now Juliet. Oh my God, the tragedy of it all, right? <laughs> and we seem to almost follow these very ho-hum kind of redundant patterns, which are so predictable. How do we stop it is the question. How do we, well, first we recognize it. We recognize it and, and how it's occurring. That takes a great deal of skill. I love what you just said, by the way. You said, oh, um, you know, they asked for a little more freedom. And I took it as, so, you know, one of the things that we have to realize is we process our experiences through interpretations, which may or may not have anything to do with what was just happening, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, my view of reality is not the same as reality. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a kind of humility that comes when we recognize that. And there's a really great question that comes when you recognize that your view of reality is not the same as reality. Here's the question. What do you mean when you say freedom? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's yeah. a simple, well, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what, what, when you're saying that, what is it you're asking for? Yeah. Um, you can save a lot of conflict by checking the facts. Mm. Right. I, I think one of the things that people really, um, unfortunately, today have gotten away from, although I don't think it was ever a, a skill that was applied in mass, is the skill of, uh, of doubting yourself. Mm. You know, I recognize that we're not supposed to gaslight anybody and we're not supposed to gaslight ourselves. My God. But boy, I've got to tell you, there's a humility that comes when you can go, you know, how do I know this? Yeah. <laughs> How, where did I get that idea? Where did that come from? Yeah. Right. And when I can begin to challenge those things, when I can begin to, to actively say the story that I'm telling myself is. So that's a lot of the language I use, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just say that my partner comes to me and she says, gosh, I, I really, I want more freedom. I, I, I want more time to myself. And boy, my mind is off the races at that point. I'm like a thousand feet down <laughs> and I go, but I catch myself and I might say, you know, um, I'm noticing in my body uh, a real adrenaline rush. There's a clutch in my throat and kind of a knot in my stomach. I'm kind of interpreting that as a bit of a fight or flight. And I think the story that I'm telling myself that led me to that place is that you don't want to be in relationship to me. Mm. Now, I recognize that I didn't hear you say that, but that is, in fact, what's happening for me right now. And I'm just wanting to check the facts. Is that what you're saying? And if not, what is it that you're actually saying and where's it coming from? Mm. Now, yeah. that may sound superhuman in the moment, but I got to tell you, the more you do it not in the moment, the more you practice that kind of language, um, the better you get about slowing time down in the moment. Listen, I had a real life experience of this. Um, 
I practice this kind of relentless checking the facts and breaking my emotions down into physiological experiences as well as interpretations. I do that quite a bit as a part of my own daily practice. Well, one day my partner and I were really going at it. And, you know, it wasn't just like a, a day. We had been going at it for months and it was as low as we had ever been. And I don't know why, but I opened up, well, we had the same phone and I simply pulled it up and it was her phone, but I didn't know that. And I looked down and there's messages to a couple of guys on there. Like she was reaching out and, and they were totally tame. Then they were very tame. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, she doesn't normally message guys. And so here I am on this very low day. We've just had an argument and she's reaching out to others. And instantly the story I told myself is she wants to be out of relationship with me. I'm not bringing her comfort. And she's turning to these other men for comfort. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I walked into the other room and I said, Hey, here's what happened. Here's the story I told myself about it. Can I ask you what, what actually occurred? Mm. And I said it just about that level. And honestly, it was the most beautiful moment. She addressed the reality. It, it brought such a tremendous repair only because I was really able to slow down time. Yeah. 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 That's such a gift to give yourself is taking a second to not run to the run to the races and be all like, Oh my God. Blah, 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 and then spilling the story that you created in your mind to your partner, because they're automatically going to go into that defensive zone and be like, Oh my God, that's not what I did. You did this. And now you're in like a back and forth pointing fingers match that never had to happen. And the most beautiful part of what you described is that curiosity within and for your partner, like, exploring the body and thinking, what am I feeling? What's going on? How can I describe it? Taking that time to, to check in with yourself and then being curious with your partner instead of, you know, just going straight into the story that you create or the story that has been created, you know, and being like, huh, so what is going on? And asking questions when you're in a safe space, saves so much, <laughs> so much energy, so much thought, and just gives a lot of clarity. And I really love that. So definitely going to take that advice for sure. Um, And then I know that we're running on time. So the last question that I always ask people is if you were in the room full of the entire world and they're all listening to you, they're all present and attentive, what are you sharing? Let me think about this. You can take a second. That's a big one. (laughs) Take a second. This really is so good. I think, um, I think falling in love with life without coercing life, without controlling life, without making demands of it. God, how many world leaders would I like to actually just say that exact thing to? You don't have to arm wrestle life into submission. You don't have to play this game of dominance and control and winning and looking good and being right. You don't have to actually play those games. Why not instead fall in love with life as she is? The highs, the lows, the the falling down, the getting up. Um, If you can surrender, and that's that's really so much of what living is. It is a surrendering. I mentioned that my father passed away a couple of weeks ago and 
I think that the, the thing that struck me and I, I wrote about it afterwards was that peace is letting go. I don't just mean letting go of a relative who passed or a relationship that ended. I mean, peace is letting go of those, those stranglehold attachments. Peace is letting go of, of those, um, those uh, hooks that are into you that say, I want more, I need more, I've got to have bigger and better. And peace is letting go. Mm. And really all of life is a training ground to surrender to eventually your own physical experience of this life that you will eventually let go. And I tell you, I hope when I meet the end that I will not be bitter and clinging and regretful and hanging on and feeling like I just had passed through, right? Mm -hmm. I hope that I didn't think I was just a tourist. I hope that, that the thing that dominated my life was that I made something real, in particular of myself. And that I I uh, got all the coins on all the levels mm. that I really saw life and mm. can surrender. Wow, if I was in that room. I think we'd all have chills. <laughs> so thank you so much. That was beautiful as everything that you've talked about today. Definitely leaving here with a lot of insight, a lot of lessons, and a lot of work to do, which I am very grateful for because we're here to work. We're here to grow. That's the goal. Um, where can my listeners find you? Because I know they're going to love you. Oh, awesome. Well, find me on Instagram at Rainier Wild. You can also find me at my Substack stack, Into the Wild. Um, that's wild with a W-Y-L-D-E. Um, and for those people who are looking to go deeper, looking to experience that sense of living fully and deeply in the here and now, I work one-on-one -on -one with individuals and couples, as well as do intermittent groups that I facilitate uh, across the year. And um, it's such a pleasure to get to encounter people who want to transform their life. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to have a little uh, fangirl moment with my boyfriend after. <laughs> I know he'll be super excited. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. It was a pleasure meeting with you. Thank you. You as well. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>